Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, I'm okay. Survived the, th- the storm in lightning. So hopefully we won't have the same problems we had the other week where I kept losing power to the house and um, we had to stop and start and had to go up to the house and make sure everything was okay. Even though I've got a battery on the house with my solar panel, it does not work like a UPS, which is frustrating because I think I've got all the components, but they're not all wired up in the right way. It's beyond my capabilities to know what to do. Maybe the lightning got your mic as well, and some odd clipping issues pop in from time to time. Maybe there's something happening. Yeah, so apologies to our listeners. A, my doorbell's just gone off, which you heard come out of the home pods, which is kind of cool. Uh, B, I seem to be having some clipping issues, but we can't quite work out why. They were in last week's recording. Um, we've rebooted. We're not running beaters, or I'm not running a beater. Um, I've got one cable going from the mic in mac so we're unsure what to do at this point but it's an issue i used to have it went away but seems to have reared its head even though my setup hasn't changed which is a little frustrating yeah we might need to do some investigating we'll see how we go i think it's more important we get an episode out than we sort of get to the bottom of it right now maybe it won't be in recording we'll see maybe we'll have to try a little bit on your macbook's uh, microphones and see if it's there in which case there's sort of something else in your your setup anyway moving swiftly along what episode are we on we're on episode 88 on the 2nd of October, and let's get on to follow-up then. So, some follow-up, and you gave yourself some homework last week in the main show where we were talking about using 1Password or Apple Passwords, and you were going to go off and try it. How did you get on with Apple Passwords? Yeah, so literally the next morning, actually, I sat down and thought, you know what, I'm going to try it. So I open up system settings, I think it was on my iPad, I opened up 1Password, and I thought, I'll just copy over a couple of passwords, you know, try it out in Safari, so my Amazon account, which seemed like a good one to, to start with, because Amazon also does the uh, one-time password you know thing as well. I tried it for about five minutes and then gave up on Apple Passwords, which doesn't seem like a very fair chance, but there were just a couple of things that really annoyed me. One, you couldn't put multiple URLs in, so when you added Amazon.com, you couldn't then add Eero.com in, because I, I share the account between the, the two sites, which I thought was a bit of a flaw. And two, once you've added a password, if you did want to change the URL, the address, it wouldn't let you do it without deleting it and adding it again. And so those two things, I was like, oh, if we can't do those basics, what's it going to be like for the rest of it? And I thought, you know what? I'll just keep one password. All I was trying to do was remove an icon out of the dock or in essence take an icon off my phone and use one less app. But actually one password is better. I'm going to stick with the dedicated passwords manager. Until Apple maybe up their game, um, but I wonder if they will. I'd, I wonder if they've just done enough for the majority of people, which I do think it is probably good enough for most people. Yeah, I think it's important that, isn't it? I mean, my concern about it, as I talked about last week, was all your eggs in one basket, you know, not having a cross-platform app that was particularly good. I hadn't even thought about the ability to modify a URL, which I do all the time, really. You know, often one URL is shared in a couple of places. You can log in in a couple of routes, or you might come to, you know, with it miss, missing a particular part of the domain. So it's really important when you're searching for something or you want something to auto-populate, that's there. So that seems like a pretty bad error to me. Yeah, so as soon as, for me, it didn't get past the basics, that's when I was like, there's no point going any further, because they were two things that I thought were table stakes, but clearly clearly not. So I think that just answered the question. I'm glad I scratched the itch, but I won't be going any further with it. Like you, I think actually possibly is better to have it in a separate place with a company that just does passwords. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and thank you for saving other people potentially the pain. Like I said, the other option I'd consider is spinning up my own one, but I think that's far too much for most people. And you could trust something like a 1Password. Maybe not a LastPass, but certainly a 1Password to do this kind of stuff with you until they get hacked. But 
at least they feel like they've got most of the front end stuff in place and you hope that the back end stuff is good enough for it. So yeah, important learnings. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The, the next bit of homework I do want to do though is actually try out passkeys because there's been lots of talk about it. One password now supports it, but I don't really know how they work or like in, in practicality. So that's the next thing to try, I think. So that's my next piece of homework. Do I've got one? Uh, my Google account is secured with a passkey. Then I and what I hadn't realized, so passkeys are a biometric alternative to, to passwords, really. So rather than something you have to remember or store in a password manager, you use a device effectively to authenticate who you are. And for most people, that device will be your phone. And it's a cross-platform thing. It's Android and it's iPhone and it's Microsoft Windows. And, and you know, it's all these kinds of things uh, are, are part of it. Uh, Google's authentication, uh, sorry, Google's implementation is exactly that, that it will notify you on your phone via the Gmail app that, you know, there's a log in your account and you can just approve it there and off you go. What I hadn't realized is it doesn't stop the password side of it working. So just so you've had it, added a passkey, it doesn't mean that if you lose your phone, you're going to be locked out of going in, which makes sense, actually. Of course, you could lose your phone or it could be stolen or whatever, and you might need to be able to log into your account in an alternative way. But it pretty much just works. Yeah, because when I was uh, playing with Amazon, at uh, one one password notified me that um, Amazon will do passkeys. And I thought, oh, okay, I hadn't really seen that. So um, that's my one to try next, I think, just to give it a go, because it does feel like they're becoming a lot more prevalent. Well, Nintendo were in the news for being one of the sort of first people to start um, offering it. Which amazed me, because normally their infrastructure is not, should we say current, I think is the word I'm going to go with. I think that's fair. They're not always at the, the, the bleeding edge of technology, are they? <laughs> no, love them. Um, anyway, so that's that's Apple passwords. It's probably good enough for most people, but had a few frustrating issues, I, I'm going to call it. But I will carry on with one password. Fair enough. Moving on, I think we touched on this last week. There might have been a story about iPhones potentially overheating. There was one story in the news about them getting up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Many in the blogosphere, the Apple blogosphere particularly, have come out and said, is this really a thing? We don't know. There's thoughts around, was it the move to titanium, which doesn't give off heat? as quickly as uh, stainless steel would? Is it just the fact that these are new devices and they're doing an awful lot of things that set up for people to be doing them? I mean, there's various sort of... Uh, are they infrared? Are they heat probes? I don't know what they are. Infrared sensors, I guess, they are looking at heat on devices to ma- map where the heat's, heat is. Of them being at this sort of temperature, you know, iPhone 15 Pro Max almost being too hot to touch while fast charging. People are exaggerating. No, this isn't great. Have you had any experiences with yours overheating? So I've got the iPhone 15 Pro. I've not had any overheating issues myself. I've had to get warm, but when I'm in my car with the Qi charger and with CarPlay, that's not uncommon. I had hoped that this update, this change, because they did call out they had improved the thermal architecture, w- would reduce that. It does seem marginally better to me. But from what I've heard is that they've actually pinpointed it to some apps. For example, I think it's the Threads app or the Instagram app. If you're on your profile page, it spikes the CPU and makes your phone really warm. And But apparently that's the same on the iPhone 14. It's just people have noticed it, I don't know, because it's a new phone. So there is obviously a, an issue there with something that's happening in some apps, probably calling an API through the Apple layer that obviously needs to be corrected. Now, whether that's app updates or um, iOS updates, I'm unsure. But I do believe, I think it was Instagram have actually got an update out for their app. Um, I don't use it, but from what I've heard, that's what they've done. So I think think there's a bit in the software there, but people are picking it up because it's a new device. Um, but to your point, though, when you get a new device, you move over to it. But because Apple do so much on device, 
your phone's normally quite warm for the first few days. And I do actually wonder whether Apple need to do something either as a release in the previous version. So, you know, when they know a new feature's coming in iOS 17, do they do an update, you know, three weeks previous, four weeks previous on iOS 16 that does any of the, the work that needs to be done? So that when you get your new device, it just copies the data over from the old device and it's not, not doing that sluggish process because it is a bit of a negative first-time experience. Or when they do their future point updates, they do it then. Rather than trying to do everything on the first 24, 48 hours, you've just got a new device, it's trying to do all this stuff on device, but actually it's giving you a negative experience and most people don't even know it's doing it. But they think, oh, my device is hot, it's slow, it's draining the battery quicker, why have I just spent a £1,000? They need to come up with a mechanism, I think, to either say it's happening and set expectation or actually just stretch it out, slow it down because most people wouldn't know. So I I think they've got an issue there around that piece as a byproduct. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, isn't there, moving to a new device. I mean, I believe a lot of the work is actually them indexing your photographs again because all the photograph indexes are held on device rather than metadata in the cloud which is the way Google do it, that your Google Photos and all the rest of it will live in the cloud. You can download them locally or more likely links to them, um, but you don't actually need to do an awful lot of it on device, even though the device has got clever things for managing photos. So that's an awful lot of workload, as well as the I'm copying however you've decided, elected to get your stuff onto the device from the other device, from the cloud, from a backup, whatever you're doing. There's a bit of work for the processor to do. I agree there's always things like this. I'm not sure how much of it you could put off given the privacy model that Apple have decided to do. It would be better, I think, what you said was is the nub of it for me if it told you what it was doing. I am indexing photos. Right, pause that now. I don't need that to happen right now. I'd rather you did it you know, in, in an hour's time or two hours' time when, I, when it actually suits me rather than doing it. it. The notification of what's happening with iCloud in particular is completely obscure to me. You, we have no idea of what they're actually doing. And in fact... I was going to talk about this one and talk about in the main show, my experiences of moving to a, sh- a new phone. I did the device-to-device transfer thing. And the progress bar for what's going on while you're not got access to either of your devices seems entirely made up to me. I think it started at two hours, it went 40 minutes, and it was actually finished in about 20. I clearly don't have enough stuff on my device. But that fluctuated, it went up and down, and uh, what's going on here? And it's not clear, and I know we know as div- you know, semi-developers how hard it is to build an accurate progress bar, because you don't know what's going on given the state of the hardware, whether you know this phone was throttling it or whatever else was going on. There's a lot, of, a lot of things in flux there. But it is interesting that there is a lack of control, and it's particularly interesting. If Instagram, and I notice these are both meta apps that they're saying may be responsible for these things, are accessing an API, well, Apple give them access to the API. If they're hammering it too hard, then that's poor design on Apple's much part as much as it is on Meta. So I wouldn't call Meta out for that. I'd agree with you on that statement. You know, Apple provide the API layer. They shouldn't allow any single app to peg your device and, you know, cause it to overheat or get warm. Um, so I agree with you on that. I think it's on, on both people. And how's it not been picked up before? You know, certainly something like the Instagram app, that must have had, I don't know, 50 releases in the last year would be my guess because they, they probably update it quite frequently. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised it's got this far. But I yeah. think Apple have got some work to do on the, the first sort of run experience, haven't they? They do. And expectation setting for a new device that's going to be. I mean, I'll, we've linked this story anyway from uh, 95 Mac and a follow-up story from the BBC on, on what apps may be causing it. 
And 95 Mac actually have a poll on the bottom of their story where they've asked people, are you experiencing iPhone 15 overheating problems beyond the first 24 hours? 19% yes during charging, 11% yes during demanding use, 27% yes even with normal use, and 42% not. So that seems pretty balanced to me for what you'd pretty much expect to see. Yeah, I think that's about right. And look, I only put the uh, BBC one in here because I just thought it was interesting just to see sort of mainstream media picking up on it, where you probably wouldn't see this for, for other brands necessarily. I don't know. Apple. I don't know. Samsung had an overheating battery thing. They might, you might, and it's a big release. People are paying attention to it. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And I'm sure Apple will release its offer update. They will do something about it. Or at least say they've done something and it'd be a panacea. Yeah, as with all things. Moving on, other issues with the iPhone 15, particularly the Pro model this time, as we posted the video and we discussed last time, Jerry Rig, everything's experience of attempting to bend the iPhone 15 Pro Max. I found it particularly concerning, I must say, giving it a slight push and it's smashing the glass on the back. Well, there's been another test from Consumer Reports, an American organization, saying not so much. So this is helpful? I guess it is helpful, but it does feel like all these little gates that have come out this year we've got case gate bend gate heat gate are they all just nothing are people looking where there isn't a problem do you know what i mean people are always looking for problems with new devices and it's easy to sling mud at apple when you're the biggest or certainly the most profitable you know phone seller in the market then you know you've got to look for these things and the new model again we'll touch on this later is so evolutionary rather than revolutionary people are looking for the differences in this version of the phone compared to the last one compared to the one before that so, I mean, it is notable when a phone cracks as easily, and certainly the drop testing seems to imply that this phone is more fragile than the 14 Pro was. Maybe that's because the titanium ring is more solid than the stainless steel one. It's less giving, therefore the glass has got to crack. Who knows? But I'm not surprised to get this level of coverage because there is always something. I mean, case gate, again, I'll talk about my fine woven case. Well, I may as well talk about it now. I have a fine woven case, as discussed a couple of weeks ago. I've now got it on my phone. Ooh. Everybody who sees it goes, what a horrible colour, which is fair enough because it is a horrible colour. It's like a funny mud colour. It's not as bad on the device so far as it was when it when it when it before I put it on the device when I was just sort of feeling it. I mean, it's still a really cheap feeling case and doesn't feel worth sixty quid. I've got to be absolutely honest, but it does feel an awful lot better. I mean, an observation I've got for it on the lip on it seems really high. You know, it's quite a long way off the the edge of the case towards the edge of the phone and that's unusual i don't remember the leather cases sticking out so much but yeah i mean that's my do you catch your finger on it yeah i do yeah i do so i'll I'll take it out of the case for the rest of of the recording because i know that you like to you know go caseless and i feel i've got to stand up to you a little bit here chris so yeah i'll I'll go on from there as, as we talk about it but yeah so that's my experience of the case i mean it's not terrible but I, I i feel it's going to fall apart on me very quickly and in fact i went for a walk in what i thought was going to be the rain at the weekend and i decided to get out the case because i felt the case would dissolve so i'd rather trust the case on the beach in the, you know in my pocket getting wet than i wouldn't and that's surely not the idea of having a case no that is not the idea of having a case is there any reason you went with the brown color case when you could have had any well, I didn't think the other colours were particularly strong. And having bought the natural titanium one, I wanted something that was fairly close to the colour of the phone. So, for example, one of the colours was mulberry, which was sort of a grey-red. But they're all grey, so I thought lean into it and go for grey. No, I can see that. And look, clicking through Apple's website, you can see it with your colour phone in there. And none of them really look great 
on it there with the natural titanium with the white which is what i've got looks okay i think the blue blue's a reasonable blue which is called pacific blue but no i'm kind of with you actually none of them are what you would call particularly strong i guess but it is interesting the lip does look more pronounced it definitely is and the other thing i've heard about is that the actual edge between the edge of the phone and the screen for some people they're noticing there's a definite lip there now i don't feel that but i was listening to the rebound podcast and they were saying that on there that none of that well only one of them has got their phone at this point and they couldn't feel it but some people have got a manufacturing effect it would seem between the screen and the band of the phone and I, I don't have that, but that's that's another potential gate we've got upcoming as well. I thought I could feel it on the back of mine, but maybe I've just got used to it over time where the band meets meets the back glass. But I don't think it's too bad at all. I think, I think they've done a good job. I think, despite all the news, I'm very happy with my phone and I haven't got any of these issues that have been reported. Well, I'll, more on that later for me. So we'll move on and quickly touch on Sonoma. You're running Sonoma. I'm running Sonoma. I've installed it on two other Macs at this point in the house, and it seems to have been okay mostly for them. I find it still a little bit flaky. There's something weird going on with backgrounds. I think I touched on this last week, where if you right-click and go to change the background, if you pick a particular one, it works, but if you pick one of the animated ones that are coming from the screensavers, and then you say change every continuously or change every 12 hours, it doesn't for me. It sticks on the background that I've, I've, I've done, and if I use multiple monitors, more than two, one of them won't show a background at all. That seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Um, so I'm I'm not using that feature. And I did install Sonoma on my wife's laptop and I've not heard anything from her, which has been nearly a week now. So I'm assuming that she's not really noticed I've upgraded it for her. Well, all these backgrounds and moving things take up four gigs of hard disk space as well. So if you download one of the big 4K screensaver into your background, there's about 15 of them. They're four, four gigs each, which is not a small amount of space. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. why they sell big hard drives now at extortionate costs. This is a way to upsell you. Yeah. Just download our, our new feature, our, one of our standout features of, of macOS Sonoma, and we'll take up a big chunk of your hard disk space. They're nice. I don't think they're four gig nice. I guess they're four gig these days. If you've, if you've got a big chunky desktop, it's nothing. Yeah, sure. But what's the base storage of a... An, M- an M2 MacBook here. It's still 256. 256. So it is too small. You're going to bounce off that pretty quick if you download all of these animated things. I think 256 is what you want for most office staff, if you know what I mean. Like the people we have at work, they barely put anything on their local device. They just sync some cloud data. So I think that's fine. But for most home users, it's got to be 512 or more. Yeah, fair. Moving on, I have a confession. I have my oldest Apple TV in the house is one of the first generation 4K ones. I bought it in America, actually at the Apple store in Manhattan, at One World Trade Center, the, the, the Apple store there. I've, I have a memory of doing it. It's obviously memorable because it was a One World Trade Center, not because I bought an Apple TV there. But it was the one with the awful remote control that would slip down the side of the couch cushions. Anyway, it's become the third Apple TV in the house. I was sitting down at the weekend at a cup of coffee in my hand. I picked up the bar of soap remote control to change something on YouTube, and it fell in my coffee. And that was the end of that Apple TV remote. It does not do anything now. Wow. That's quite impressive to get a remote to land in a cup of coffee. I guess the good news is you can buy a remote on its own if you wanted to. I have done that. I was mildly cursing my son because the remote on one of ours makes a horrible clicking noise. And I've watched him watch. Well, he's watching TV. He's forever tapping it and bringing up the the little jog pause thing on it and skipping. And I just wonder whether 
uses it too much and it now makes a really annoying click when you use it and it drives me around the twit if I'm honest because it's just one of these little annoyances and it's like you shouldn't do that it shouldn't do that they should be made well enough that they shouldn't be squeaking and creaking I do wish that mine were all USB-C though instead of lightning I I am gutted that I've got four that are lightning and I'm not planning to replace them because if you bought the remotes on their own I think that's £200 worth of remotes so it's, they're going to have to wait until they slowly phase out over time I think I've got a long exit from the lightning adapter well the, the long and the short of it is I'm using the remote app on my phone to control that TV now and it's not the end of the world no it is pretty good for me the remotes are good just for more family friendliness I think yeah fair last thing for follow up did you try Call of Duty Mobile I downloaded it I launched it it then had to download some more stuff and take forever to load and then I think I had to go off and do something else and I never went back I got really cheesed off with it because it downloaded a reasonable chunk and then first launch download some more stuff and then initialize this and then i was like oh. you don't have to download all that stuff you can jump in and play straight away but if you want the high res textures and the sounds oh, okay. and more maps and things so that was optional actually so i think leave this one in here and i will give it another go so apologies but for me mobile gaming is just quick drop in drop out i know apple are now portraying the iphone 15 pro as a games console uh, maybe I need to just change my mindset on it and actually some games aren't just a quick. So first story, I'd meant to p- uh, pick up, but it got lost in the iPhone event and the release of phones and things like this. Uh, and it's, we know Apple has a, I wouldn't call it a problem, but has an issue in China with the fact all their eggs are in one basket. And given the way that the Chinese government views foreign companies working on their soil and the various rules you need to have in order to, to be compliant with, with the Chinese government's uh, opinion on things. It's a bit of a single point of failure for them. So they've had, they've had a move to move some manufacturing to India. And this was a story from the 25th of September saying that Apple has already moved $7 billion worth of iPhone production to India and aims to move another $40 billion worth within five years. It does make me wonder, where was my phone made? Yeah, as you were talking, I was just looking at mine and then it dawned on me, the phones no longer say designed by Apple in California, made in China, USA. So I don't know where mine's made. I'd be quite happy if it came from India or China, to be fair. So I don't know, but it is interesting they're doing it. Obviously, they need to do this and they're going to ramp it up slowly, I guess, just to make sure that the new factory, I guess, hits the quality thresholds that that they've got. But it makes sense, doesn't it? You surely want to de-risk it. You probably want more like a 50-50 split. So if they've done 7 billion now, do we know if 7 billion out of of what? 7 billion out of 191 billion. So literally a drop in the ocean. So the chance of you or I having one made in India is pretty slim, like ratio-wise. And they're planning to move to 40 billion then in five years. So if that's over the next five years, and if it keeps growing, say they got to 250 billion, it would only be about a fifth that they're going to manufacture in India in five years' time. You've got to start somewhere. And I guess the know-how of learning how to make the factories and the processes in place to build them in another country is probably going to stand you in good stead if they do need to move to somewhere else. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a thing, isn't it? It's it's quite a beast to move. Yeah. I mean, they're saying a quarter of all iPhones could be made in India by 2025. So, you know, I think that's not, that's not unreasonable. A quarter of the amount of iPhones sold just in India. That gives them some diversification. Yeah, it's, it's clearly better than zero, isn't it? It's, it's got to be done. I hope 
that they bring along improved labor laws and everything than they were still continually criticized for in China for the way those factories are run. So I hope that they're treating the workers better than they're reportedly, allegedly, treating the workers in China. Yeah, I was thinking this because they've obviously got the sustainability piece where they're trying to hit net neutral by 2030. You kind of want them to have a similar pledge for labor laws and, and all of that, but be a much shorter time frame like now. Just get that done. Like you charge enough money for your products. Why, why is this even a thing? Yeah. Moving on, we've got a couple of birthdays actually. So the first one is that Google is 25 years old today. Happy birthday, Google. 25 years old. It's man- mental, isn't it? It is mental. And I've linked to a page where they're talking about some fun facts about Google over 25 fun facts about Google. And I got to say, some of these are absolutely rubbish. So, for example, 500 plus, the number of landmarks currently available in Google Maps Immersive View. Is that really something worth celebrating? Maybe they were struggling to find some good numbers. 10 million, the number of cells a Google Sheet can contain. In case you're wondering, that's 18,278 columns. I think Excel does 25,000 columns. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, if it does feel like maybe they're making up some numbers. Maybe they were just struggling for content. It's mental that they're 25 years old. I must confess, I barely ever go to Google, though, if I'm honest. The, the number I want to see is petabytes of your data sold to advertisers. <laughs> Money made from selling, you, selling your postal details. It's a thought, isn't it? Anyway, happy birthday, Google. They've certainly made a dent in the planet. How good that dent is, I wonder, from time to time. Did, did you see this one? The number of Chrome tabs you can o- open is infinite. It's not, though, is it? Well, that's what I was going to say, but apparently it's so. Imagine trying to find your 9999th tab. Yeah, but I guess they just support infinite tabs. I, I don't know. I don't know how you test that one. <laughs> you just have to keep going and going and going. Well, yeah, who's who's going to test that? I mean, what happens? If, what, what if you open a million and it's still working? You get your million and one is the one that crashes it. You don't know that. Uh, interesting, isn't it? I, I will be curious to know what what Google's doing in 25 years. When I mean Google, I can't without YouTube. Let's just assume YouTube's its own island over here. But what will Google be in 25 years? Will they be still everybody's default search engine? Will they be big in the AI space? Will they have pivoted? You know, it'd be super interesting to see how it all pans out. Yeah, let's, uh, if we're still going in another 25 years, let's see. Yeah? Hopefully we are still going in 25 years' time, but whether the podcast is, that's another question. That's a whole different question. The other significant birthday is the free, soft- is free software is officially 40 years old today as well. So Richard Stallman, who is credited as being sort of the founder of free software, free software has kind of become conflated with open source software, but Richard Stallman put forward the idea of free packages. So things like GNU, which is... GNU is not Unix, one of those recursive algorithms that Unix types and Linux types love so much. It was going to be a kernel for what became Linux, but Linux became the actual kernel. And Herd, which was going to be the kernel for Linux, isn't. But free software is certainly very much a thing. And open source software, most of the internet is dependent on open source software. Apache web browsers, Linux itself, MySQL databases, so many things are dependent on that. In fact, the operating system you and I are talking to each other on now, FreeBSD, is a free slash open source op, uh, operating system with some Apple stuff baked on top of it. But the fundamentals of it are that Unix free software heart. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I hadn't really thought about free software having a birthday, but you've said it, it's got to have started somewhere, so it kind of makes sense. 
Yeah, Free Software is only a couple of years younger than me, really. And, and me. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Moving on. Some Apple executives have been in court defending the fact that why is Google the default search on Apple devices? And Apple's response, and I think it's Eddie Q was the one that uh, actually appeared on the stand, is the reason that Google search is the default search engine on Apple devices is there wasn't a valid alternative. Not sure about that, Eddie. I'm sure Google just kept putting $100 bills in front of you until you picked it. I, I always find this one, again, a bit weird. It may not. It may have been the viable alternative when you launched the iPhone. Fine, but here we are, many moons later, still the default one. You don't really actively encourage people to change it. The screen where you do change it, I don't think has changed. Why do Apple need the money to do this? Why do they keep doing this? They don't need the money. Yeah, they fell out pretty dramatically with Google, Steve Jobs, and over over Android. I was really surprised. This is still a thing. It is mad, isn't it? Because when the iPhone launched, you had, what, Google Maps baked in, you had YouTube baked in, and you had the Google search engine, which made sense in 2007. Um, obviously, YouTube then broke out, became its own app on the App Store. Apple did their own maps. Um, search engine-wise, I'm amazed Apple never just swallowed up DuckDuckGo and popped that on there and called it Siri Search because they love the Siri name, even though the, the Siri brand is tainted, I would suggest. I'm amazed this is still the thing and we're still talking about it. If you are privacy focused, then you should be having DuckDuckGo as your primary one, would be my view, or at least offer a splash screen so that um, your users are making a, a choice. And maybe they all pick Google, but it, I don't know, it just seems an odd thing for them to be getting so involved in and het up on. And I get they get paid a load of money for it, but they don't need the money. That's what I find bizarre, unless that's bolstering up the services revenue of, by a dramatic amount. But I, I just find this one an odd one that is still being talked about. Well, money brings money, doesn't it? And I guess you just fall into the habit of if that's a revenue stream that you're expecting to happen and you add users all the time and they pay you more for the users that you add, then, you know, the, capitalism, baby. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a, a, a default choice of what search engine you'd like to pick would be a good thing. DuckDuckGo is certainly a good option. Bing is an option these days for sure. There are things like Kagi Search, which is a paid-for search engine, but they guarantee they're going to keep your privacy private. So there are plenty of options out there now in terms of search engines that people could be using. I Just a, a little thought before we move off this, this story. is Right at the beginning, The Verge talk about Eddie Q rolling up in court and being shown the image of three iPhones on the screen and Eddie Q quipping about the fact that the resolution on the computer he was looking at the iPhones on was terrible. You should get a Mac which got some laughs in the court. And then the judge saying, well, if Apple would like to make a donation, which got more laughs, that's all a bit buddy-buddy, really, isn't it? I don't think that has a place in a court of law. Uh, yeah, it does seem a bit odd, doesn't it, for a, what should be a, a very strict sort of proceeding event, I guess. It's probably the kind of thing I would say, I must confess, in a meeting, but yeah, I don't think I would want to do that in court. It is. I'm just amazed we're still talking about it. Do you think Apple ever do their own... Apple search. I'm amazed they haven't to control more of the experience. You know, as you go down your phone, the next thing you do is search. I'm amazed they haven't tried to own more of that. And now I know there's a bit with Spotlight that will do some web lookups and stuff, but I'm amazed they just haven't done the the, the default browser search. Like I say, just own a, the next piece of the experience before you go off to somebody else. 
Yeah, Spotlight looks up Google, doesn't it? So it's not using an internal thing, it goes to Google. And I wouldn't really know what Spotlight is anymore, being the you know Alfred or Raycast user that I am for, for my alternative search, both of which you can define alternative search engines in. So, for example, in Alfred, if I do my command space to launch it and I type geo, it will search within that box for Google. But if I type dd, it will search duckduckgo. So you're sort of muscle memory for the things that you want to search within that can be baked into those kinds of things which you can't do with spotlight yeah it is interesting should we move on yep so the ios 17.1 beta is out brings a couple of interesting new features one of which may be specific to the uk and i thought this was fascinating when i read it that in the 17.1 beta because they're supporting the UK's open banking standard where you can share that information with other financial providers we may be able to actually get our bank account balance in the apple wallet app yeah, I saw this and thought, great, the UK's getting something first for a change. Um, it doesn't work for me. I'm with Nationwide. They don't seem to be supporting it, but I think NatWest does. Um, I'd really like this. This would be great. I think it's quite a nice little feature. So I would like to see, see more of this. I was really disappointed with iOS 17.1, I must say. I thought we were going to get loads of little features and we got the wallet app updates. We've got some stuff in music which we can talk about, and not really much more. There was one minor tweak to stage manage on the iPad, but I, I thought it was going to be a bit bigger. I don't know why. And Frederico on the Connected podcast had said there's more stage manager stuff coming, so I was like all all primed for it. And I wish I hadn't bothered installing it now. I should have just stayed on the release train rather than the beta train. But that's my own fault. I'm happy to have jumped off the beta train. I'll wait for it to come along. I mean, we've already had two updates, actually. 17.0.1 and 17.0.2 final for uh, are, are out. So something's going on. They're moving along pretty quickly. But that's pretty much par for the course. And hopefully they'll be rolled in at 17.1. Well, they will be rolled in at 17.1. But looking at this list, I'm not that desperate for my bank account balance in that. It's, it could be a nice feature. I could see why people might not want it. I don't know. If you double click to bring up Apple Pay and it brings up your account balance, maybe go, ooh, I really can't afford to buy this coffee I'm about to get. Or look at all the coffees I can buy. You know, whatever it is that you would think of when you bring that up. But yeah, looking at the other features, like you say, the ability to favorite songs in Apple Music you know yeah so this one's odd so we used to give songs one to five stars if you remember in the glorious itunes days then it moved to hearts and now we're going back to stars but you can only give it one star i it's a favorite so i have seen this and it's popped up on carplay as well so it just seems to be something they are washing through and it's put a, a favorited section in as well under downloads and, and under your library and stuff so it, it seems something they're moving towards i don't get why we have to keep moving everything from hearts to stars and back again but they do seem to do lots of little things because when you create a new playlist now you can go and pick um different album art from from their library as it were so they are doing quite a few little things with music i still want them to break music out like they've done with classical break it out of the os um i get you probably want the os to have a base version but let it get just updated via the app store surely I'd have thought so. And for those people that want a different default music app like Spotify or something like that, you should be able to do that in the same way you can with you can with email clients and things like that. So I agree, I'm with you. Break it out of the, the its dependence on the OS has long passed it. I wonder. Uh, yeah, agreed. I only download from Apple Music just so I've got some albums cached when I'm driving if I'm in poor signal. Yep, same for me when I'm traveling. If I'm on, on an airplane, I'm going to struggle to stream that. So I have a downloaded list that I keep. But I know people with Spotify do the same sort of thing. I know people who use YouTube Music do the same sort of thing. Yeah, I did see some people today, I was at a conference, and they were using AirDrop on iOS 17, and I hadn't really seen it be used, but the, the screen effect looked kind of cool as it was like pushing 
looked like a screen effect on on the uh, phone as the two phones came near each other, which I thought was interesting. But have we got we've got new features? Have we in this in this seventeen point one as well? New features. Yeah, there's some new airdrop features. I'm not exactly clear what they are. Actually, it's not. It's quite a confusingly written article when when I, when I come to. Oh, it. it's just name drop, which which I haven't used yet. But again, looks kind of cool. Yeah, my daughter rang me today, and her full face came up on my phone when it started ringing. You know, because now it takes over. I, I know it's a bit. Oh God, what's going on here? But actually, I, I do quite like it. It's quite distinctive. Yeah, I've set them up for like my wife and my children. Because I think that's quite nice. They're, they're really the people that actually call call me on my phone, whereas most of my friends I just text. So um, I think it's a nice idea, and they should have done that years ago. Yeah, and we're still waiting on collaborative playlists, uh, the new journaling app, and Double Tap to come to the Apple Watch Series Nine. They're sort of the outstanding features for iOS seventeen. Yeah, I don't know where the journal app is. I'm assuming that's going to drop soon. I can't say I'm desperate to have it. No, I just want to have a look at it. I wonder whether it will come if they do an iPad event in October. If they update any iPads, that would be a good time. Your journal app, iPad's perfect for a journal. Yeah, fair enough. Moving on, the Fairphone 5. We've talked about it a couple of times before, I think, and it's out. The Verge have got a review for it. And once again, I just want to say, as an alternative to the iPhone, if I wasn't running an iPhone, I think I'd be picking up a Fairphone 5. It looks like an iPhone. All phones look like iPhones. Fair point. Fair point. No, it, it does look kind of cool. Does it say how much it is? There are $699, I think, or pounds. Right, it's more or less the same these days. That sounds quite good on the face of it for what it, you get. I agree. A phone you can update if they, they've, and they have a history of doing this now. This is the fifth version of this. If they want a camera module with an upgraded version down the road, you can actually buy that and put it in. You can slam a new battery on it. If you break the screen, it's easier to repair it yourself. They keep the updates going. We've talked about this before. Five or six years after the length, you know, for the for the length of the device. In fact, they are aiming for ten years of support on the Fairphone Five, which I think is really impressive. And that's a true commitment to sustainability, really, isn't it? The device you've got will still fit the case that you bought, you know, and is good for ten years to be able to buy a battery for. And this is a critical thing. They sell it with a de-googled operating system as well. So it's not a stock Android that comes with it. It's de-googled. You can choose to put the Google apps on there if you want. But if you don't, you can use one of the alternative stores or one of the alternative app things and just use a web browser and just have a phone, which I think is really impressive. Yeah, that is quite, kind of cool. I would definitely be up for that if I if I wanted to completely detach myself from the world. And just to be clear, it's cheaper than I thought it was, I think. So it's it's a good device, 10 years worth of support, de-Google software. I think if the iPhone went away and became a real problem, this is what I'd be, I'd be looking at. So well done, The Verge, for giving it a fair review. Yeah, no, it's good. Apparently, Linda Yaccarino, who is the CEO of X, did something. Yeah, so I listened to Decoder. It's a great podcast from uh, Nilay Patel at The Verge. I really enjoy this podcast. He generally gets some really good guests, but he had... Linda, who's the CEO at X, formerly Twitter, on it. And it was a horrific interview. Actually, it wasn't him interviewing, I must be fair. It was somebody else at their Verge conference. But she did not come across terribly well at all. Admittedly, the interviewer was not on her side, but she did nothing to help herself. They even said to her about Elon, going, oh, what do you think about Elon, where he's announced that they may, you may take Twitter behind a paywall for everybody? And she was like, why has he said that publicly? She she didn't even know what Elon's been saying. And then they were quizzing her on why the product team report into Elon, but everything else reports into her. Is she really the CEO or is she more like the COO? It was just really interesting, but it did not make me warm to her at all, which I was really disappointed by because 
I kind of wanted to be a good person and the right person, but it sounded like she hadn't had any media training. She was not the right voice to be out there talking to people. She just sadly didn't seem to handle the questions very well. And I just thought it landed really badly for a company where you that needs a CEO that you can get behind and this isn't that or even a COO if, if that's really what her role is but it was an interesting insight it wasn't terribly long because she called the meeting short which was it was all just a bit odd how she handled some of the questions and everything I just uh, if you want a bit of cringeworthy podcast I would recommend it for that but then conversely I then listened to Mark Zuckerberg on the same show but interviewed by somebody different and actually he came over really well and I was pleasantly surprised because Meta is not a company I generally warm to but actually I thought he spoke a lot of sense talking about AI the future the quest what they're doing and just the way he, he came over he was starting to win me around a little bit and I was I did not expect to come away thinking of that I didn't think that the X one was going to be great but I didn't think it was going to be anywhere near as bad as what it was and Mark Zuckerberg I didn't think it was going to be great but actually I did really enjoy it yeah, check your expectations. I mean, I I don't know an awful lot about Linda Yaccarino other than, A, she didn't have the X app on the home screen of her phone, which surprised everybody. Yeah, we but. talked about that last week, didn't we? What, what a, a silly thing to do. Just uh, It's got to be on your main home screen. Or you should be in your dock if you're the CEO of the company, surely. You? you would have thought so. And then it's not like she's never been exposed to the media before. She was an executive at NBC Universal. You know, she's, she worked at Turner Entertainment. She worked for media organizations. You would have thought media training in one of those sort of organizations would be mandatory. Yeah, I was really surprised just with how she, she handled the questions. She just didn't seem like she was prepared for it. Wasn't overly all over the numbers. Seemed to be suggesting Twitter, sorry, X is doing far better than what it is when they were comparing it to Aptopia. It was... It was just not a nice interview to watch. Like I say, quite cringeworthy, I thought. Yeah, super interesting. But I would also definitely would recommend Mark Zuckerberg's one as well because I just found him quite insightful on, on their view of AI and, and what they're doing. Now, whether he has had lots of media training, but he, he just came across actually quite well, I thought, in, in fairness. He spoke in front of Congress. He's, he's had a bit of training for sure. Moving on, definitely. apparently you have a story about Netflix. <laughs> this was just one I saw in the newspaper at the weekend. And it... I was astounded. So this is Netflix has posted its final DVD. How are they still shipping DVDs to people? Have they got any DVDs left to ship? I just thought this was amazing because I just naturally had assumed Netflix had gone online only 10 years ago. Insert a number here, but not 2023. So did you know they were still shipping DVDs? I actually did because there was a a little bit of coverage about they were building up to sending the last DVD because they're actually telling people don't send them back. Once you've got them, we don't want them back. We're done. Well, why would you want them back? Because you've only got to dispose of them. This is surely the better thing to do for the environment. Let other people have them. Yeah, and I was part of the Amazon version of this. I forget what it was. You know, DVDs by post or something, I think it was called. It was bought by Amazon and then retired for their streaming service back in the day. But that must be 10 years ago, I think, since Amazon stopped doing that as well. But this this amused me. But the first disc sent out by Netflix was Beetlejuice in March 1998. And the company has shipped 5.2 billion DVDs since then to US customers, presumably. The most popular title being Sandra Bullock Vehicle, The Blind Side. I don't even know what that is. It's, I think, a heartwarming thing about a football player who wants uh, to be... Okay, yeah, rings, rings a bell now. Okay. Yeah, American I wouldn't football. have guessed that. Yeah. So there you go. 
I used to do a service like this. I can't remember if I did Netflix or whether it was Love Film. That was one I think we had here in the UK. That was it, Love Film. But Amazon bought Love Film, so you can continue to get them from Amazon for a little bit, but even they shuttered that. Yeah, I was just amazed it was still going, so I couldn't believe it when I read the newspaper at the weekend, so I just thought I'd pop that in there. Yeah, good story. I think that'll do us for news. Yeah, I think so. On to media. On to media. So I've put the story in just for you, Chris, because it's the intersection of all the things you could possibly want in the world. So there was a report that Apple is considering a huge bid for global Formula One streaming nights, rights. I I read this. I hadn't seen this come by. So it was on the 30th of September this, this came up. So it was that Saturday. There was no Formula One this weekend, by the way. But I was thinking about this after you put popped it in and I was thinking actually this would be it this would be amazing for me I could get rid of my now tv subscription tick um I've already got apple tvs everywhere done I would love this because it's one less app I need in my world but actually I can see why apple would do this because formula one has got so popular with the drive to survive series that's on netflix that this would be a great way for them to boost numbers because you still see people now they go, oh, I haven't seen Ted Lasso because it's on Apple TV. And I think if they're going to try and get others in it, they kind of need a pincer movement to get this content that people really want, like they've done MLS. And that's probably great for Americans. But actually, something like Formula One would probably help them internationally. Like I say, it's just got so popular in the last few years. Um, I kind of hope this actually comes true because um, it would scratch my itch. Yeah. I could totally see it being a, a valid fit thing for them to sort of get behind. If I was gonna, and keeping in fan, keeping in mind, I like motorsports a huge amount as well. With my super green, slightly cynical look at Apple and their things, is Formula One the best greenest thing to get behind to be pushing as part of your brand? Not one iota. Not one iota is it green. They talked this year that the calendar would be more aligned, you know, the racing calendar would be more aligned with where countries are geographically. But they're still flying all over the, the world getting to these countries. It's like, well, hang on, why don't we do the American leg a little bit closer together rather than doing one over here? I think we've got Vegas coming up in Texas, but we've already done one in America back in Miami three months ago. So they're still zigzagging across the world. It is better, but they've got a long way to go. Also, this the rights are currently with Sky and Channel 4 have rights I think to do highlights but for the, the British Grand Prix they can stream, stream it live but Sky actually run a whole channel just on F1 would Apple have all that would they be doing as much content as what Sky do I don't even know how all that would work so it'll be super interesting to see where this goes I mean, it is interesting looking at the, the rights for streaming this kind of stuff. I, c I can only speak for the MotoGP world but often it's through an intermediary so the company themselves actually have all the camera technology and have all the commentators and not all the commentators commentators tend to come on top of that but like pet lane cameras you know interviews with the racers slash riders all that kind of stuff and then they lease it out to various countries around the world so sky may have a feed from whoever owns owns the rights to, to formula one and then they'll put their own commentators in front of it and they'll, they'll do their own shows around it and i presume it's a similar thing in f1 as it is to is to moto gp so Apple may not need to do any of that. They may just get that provided to them by, by the company, but then maybe hire a couple of commentators who knew about it in order to do sort of their extra shows and stuff. Yeah, so, so you're exactly right uh, for Formula One. So Formula One do the feed, and then Sky then have a whole army of people that do interviews, content, enough to fill a channel, basically, because they've obviously got all the rights to all the previous races. So you often get 
you know, a race from 10 years ago on well, just as a slot filler. But on actual race weekends, they have so much content. It's unreal. Like I say, they're filling up a whole channel. So are Apple going to do that? I don't, I don't know. It'd be super interesting to see how it plays out. But I must confess, I don't watch the whole channel. I'm just there for the really the main events. I might watch a little bit either side, but I'm definitely not watching it all weekend. Yeah, I think that's the advantage of being a streaming service, though, isn't it? Is you can put together a couple... I presume they don't continually show Major League Soccer matches in the same way that they don't continually show Major League Baseball on a Friday night. They show you maybe the warm-up, the actual match slash game itself, and then nothing, and it's gone. And presumably, if they owned all the rights, something like this, you would be able to call up the previous races and things like that. But Major League Baseball, when it's gone, it's gone. Unless you watch it live, it's not a thing. They're not building up a whole circus around it. So I presume if this is a thing... There's not enough content to continually stream something to people all the time. But an archive of previous races, practices, amazing incidents, interviews with drivers and all the rest of it is something you just set up. I don't think you need the same thing as like a broadcast media channel needs to do. Yeah, or you just buy Sky's operation off them for what they do for F1. It'll be interesting to see how it all works out. Presumably. Um, But Sky's just, just in the UK. So I don't know what they would then do for Italy or, or France because they've got their own set of commentators and, and what have you. So there's a lot of unknowns here. Sorry, but, you were going to say. No, I was just going to say exactly that, that in America it'll be ESPN, I think, that has rights to, to Formula One. Can you imagine if Apple gets all that, the loss of money that Formula One potentially will have unless Apple is offering them, yeah, we'll cover your costs in America, we'll cover your costs in Mexico, we'll cover your costs in the UK, we'll cover your costs in Ireland. Wow. Yeah, I've no idea how that's going to work. But they've got a picture in the article of Tim Cook in the start, on the start-finish straight of the, I think it was the Texas Grand Prix last year, and he waved the flag at the end, and he looked pretty much like he does in that photo, really miserable. So I'm not sure this is his sport, to be fair. No. Interesting, though, in the same way we talked about them maybe getting soccer, football in the UK, it's, it's an interesting thought exercise anyway. Certainly a lot of fans are Formula 1. You've rewatched Succession Series 4. I might have rewatched the whole of Succession Series 4. I don't know why. I think I really enjoyed it. But I kind of wanted to go back and just see it again. And so I did. I bought it on iTunes, old school, or the Apple TV app because it was on sale. That's fantastic. Second watch, so good. That last episode is amazing. Yeah, I just really wanted to watch it again because I think there was a few bits I missed. And sometimes you spot different things on a second watch. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it second time around. That's what I want to say. I love, love that show. I'm sad it's over, but I think they ended it in exactly the right way. Yeah, I think it's probably quite appropriate at the moment when Rupert Murdoch is beginning to step back from his empire as well, that you have actually got a succession ongoing. Yeah, no, definitely. You're right. I just, I really like that that series. Fantastic cast. I uh, just loved it. So, and like I said, I think they landed the ending in the right ways. I think we touched on it at the time. So I would, would recommend, like I said, it was on sale, it was half price, so I thought it was goodbye. Um, and I've just popped in here, actually. I know we've talked about these three, but we're a couple of weeks in now. But Bake Off's on, on Channel 4, Taskmaster's on Channel 4, and Race Across the World on the iPlayer. What a great winter of TV or autumn of TV we've got at the moment. And all family-friendly, which I think is fantastic. I, I agree with you, and I have watched all of these things as well. And of these... Taskmaster has obviously come back with a bang. It's as good as it always was. But I thoroughly enjoyed the celebrity race across the world. I feel like they've really got into it. And it's been a really compelling show. Yeah, no, I love, love it all. And it's great because I get to watch it with my children. And it's nice to have something that adults and children can watch. So I'm very happy there. Yep, I'd agree with you. Anything else? Sadly not on media, but I think you're going to top us up on games. 
a little bit of games. I'm not going to go into any great detail on this. One is for irony purposes as much as anything else. Last week, just last week, we reported on the Competition and Mergers Authority in the UK saying, it's all done. Activision Blizzard can crack on. They can get it done. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses. Uh, the FTC in America is now trying to block the Microsoft Activision merger. That's bonkers, isn't it? I, I still don't get how all this works, but is it not done yet? It's not done yet. So there will be another hearing, uh, I think, in December to see how this goes forward. It's just madness. This is the deal that never ends. Yeah, Microsoft must be um, getting a little frustrated, I guess, because it's been a long time. And the poor people at Activision Blizzard or Blizzard Activision must be frustrated because they've just been in limbo for so long now. It's not healthy for them, is it? No, it's not. And I'll revise my statement. They're hoping to have all this done by October the 18th, that you know, the appeal with the FTC can be put to bed and they can get on and do it. I, I, I'm almost bored of this by now. That They just need to get either say no and let, it all, let everybody go and plan again or just get on with it. Agreed. Moving on, and I thought this was quite interesting. So Electronic Arts, a company themselves that have potentially been up for sale uh, a couple of times. There was rumours Apple were going to buy them at some point. Massive games publisher. Owned the rights to FIFA. Uh, you've talked about your kids playing FIFA before now. Uh, they lost the rights, and I think we did actually report a bit on the podcast, to the FIFA brand, which gave them the ability to show player likenesses, teams, use all the official names and all the rest of it. Uh, that has fallen apart. So now instead of being FIFA Football 2023 or 2024, whatever the one would be, it's called EA Sports FC 24 is the next version of it. I have seen adverts. It still looks like they have player likenesses and strip likenesses, likenesses, so they've obviously managed to work their way around the FIFA deal particularly, probably saving them quite a lot of money. Have pulled every previous version of FIFA from from a variety of stores, including the Epic Store and the Steam Store. So I just thought that was an interesting move. It is interesting. So a couple of thoughts here. I think they can use likenesses, club names, all of that, um, but they can't, it's not called FIFA. They haven't got that bit of the name. And I thought EA had pulled out of it. But interesting, they've dropped all previous versions. I wonder if they're doing that to force everybody onto FC24 rather than buying FIFA 23 at half price or whatever it may be. So quite a clever ploy. I'm not surprised. Something that it does feel like something EA would do. Yeah, not surprised most at all. And my son will want it for Christmas. That's normally how this goes. Um, I do get amazed though when I go onto EA's website how few games they've actually got coming out for what was such a big company. They don't seem to do a lot of games anymore. You've got FIFA, Formula 1 23, which came out a little while ago, Jedi Survivor, then there's a Need for Speed, which came out ages ago. They're still peddling The Sims 4 and Apex Legends. They're their kind of main games, which I thought they had loads of sports games and, and they were constantly churning out stuff, but it doesn't seem to be that way. I think you'll find they're the things that are making them lots of money at the moment. They're at the top of it. So I'm going to talk about Battlefield 2024 in a minute. Uh, sorry, 2041 in a minute. And, you know, that's an EA game. 2042. I'll get there in the end. <laughs> you were close. <laughs> I was close. The, the the current Battlefield game, which, again, we talked about last week, where they were pulling more and more studios together to make sure that that might turn into a bit more of a cash cow for them. So Criterion, who made Need for Speed, have been pulled on at the Battlefield franchise. So they're circling the wagons around those things that make them money. And I just wonder if maybe they're bleeding a bit of money from things like the FIFA deal. Just a final thought on that. Maybe they have to pull any branding related to FIFA, you know, from a digital distribution store because of the deal. Yeah, that's not a bad point, actually. You would have thought, though, if it's 
lost to the sands of time it's all done and dusted but maybe you're right maybe they can't sell new new versions and take a revenue from it because they're no longer they've no longer got the rights it's not a bad point one of the final stories we're going to talk about and this makes me a little bit sad actually so we've talked before about peter molyneux who is a british developer who is responsible for some of the certainly the games of my childhood for want of a better word certainly my teenage years things like populous black and white magic carpet theme park and others bullfrog studios were an amazing thing dungeon keeper is about to release a game based on nfts and for those that don't really keep up nfts are non-fungible tokens so their idea is they're bits of crypto effectively which you hope will have a financial value in terms of cryptocurrency or something like that or sometimes real currency at some point in the future and basically nfts are worthless by this point for example the charlie bit my finger youtube video was taken off youtube uh, and has been sold in a variety of digital bits as as NFTs. I don't think they're worth anything. Peter Molyneux is about to release a game where, where NFTs are, are part of its core mechanic, and it just seems like a horrible ending to, you know, quite a talented developer at one time. Yeah, so it's from his studio, and you're bit... Was, sorry, I was just reading the article now. You basically manage NFTs in it. It's, it's part of the mechanic, apparently. So, yeah, it sounds a bit odd. I guess we need to wait and see but he does seem to be making some still quite out there games wasn't he involved in the black and white games as well have i made that up no i said i said black and white you did say black and white okay apologies i heard you say dungeon keeper and obviously the theme one part one's a a bullfrog which i loved but he's obviously yeah he got his thing for simulations and management those kinds of mechanics but yeah it seems an odd one this yeah, I bought, I'm looking through this sort of, this current studio is called 22 Cans. I'm sure there's some sort of controversy around Peter Molyneux as well. I can't remember exactly what it was, bullying or allegedly bullying or something like that. But I bought Goddess. He always liked a god simulator type game on Steam in early access and it was rubbish. And the, the at that point he just seemed to vanish. So I'm surprised he's even still making games at this point. Yeah, I think that is fair. I mean, he's done a lot of good ones, but yeah, it's amazing he's still going. He is 64. There you go. But maybe this is what keeps him going. Well, maybe. You know, there are still some legends of, of development, like Jeff Minter and others, who are around. So, you know, fair play, I suppose, for keeping doing the things you like to do. Two last stories then. One is uh, Battlefield 2142? 2042? 2042. <laughs> I'm confused now. I've written 2042 in the show notes and I can't get it right. I picked that up. It was an offer on PlayStation. You could download it as the, as the game of the month a couple of times back. I think I advise you to go and have a go because what's the negative? Are just featuring a really fun mo- mode at the moment. It's called Gun Game of Ages. So a gun game in one of these first person shooters is you start off with a game, you get a kill, you progress to a gun. So your gun actually, so you start with a pistol, you might go an assault rifle, you might go something else. And the idea is you get a certain number of kills with a different weapon every single time. So you get to the end when you end up with a knife and when you get your knife kill, you win the game. Well done you. First person to get there wins, everybody else loses. It's quite straightforward. It's quite a fun mechanic. So like, you know, but Gun Game of Ages actually features a gun from every single or a couple of guns from every single Battlefield game going back to Battlefield 1944. So they've mixed things way back from the start of the franchise as well as part of it and it's in cooperation with a youtuber called jack frags it's it's sort of his concept to do it and it's just a shed load of fun so i think there's a couple of days still to run to it if you downloaded battlefield 2042 fire it up and have a quick go because it's it's tons of fun i feel i haven't downloaded it and i probably should have done by now apologies yeah anyway just a little sort of top tip for those that have and the second thing is uh, an ios game um, so there were two iOS games came to Apple Arcade this week. 
Uh, one is called Junkyard and one is called Cypher 007 or Bond 007 or something like that, which is set in the Bond universe. Uh, the, yeah, the Cypher one, I think it was. Yeah, I downloaded Junkyard. I haven't downloaded the other one, obviously, because I don't know the name of it properly. Uh, Junkyard is fun. It's by the same developers as Kingdom Rush. So it's a tower defense game. you got to put down towers and stop guys creeping across the map. Uh, it's really well done. It's sort of a vaguely Mad Max sort of universe. More or less the same approach that they've taken with Kingdom Hearts, except you're able to put the turrets down more or less where you want, as opposed to having them in defined locations, which was uh, the case with the Kingdom games. A lot of fun. If you're on Apple Arcade, it's free. Download it. Fire up on your on your iPhone or your iPad. It's great. Looks quite good, actually. I do like a tower defense game. What does the TD stand for? So it's Junk World TD. Tower defense. Of course, tower defense. I don't can't believe I didn't think of that. Apologies. That's all right. And that's all I've got for games, unless you've got something. No, sadly, not a lot of gameplay in here. I've been a bit rubbish this week, so I apologize. I have read a lot of books, though. That's fair enough. Should we do a quick main show? Yeah, let's do it. So you've got your new phone. I'm curious to know how you've got on with it because obviously for you, it was a big upgrade going from a 13 Pro Max to a 15 Pro Max. So you've got two generations of changes and updates and it came a lot sooner than than you'd realised, about a week, maybe two weeks earlier than anticipated. Yeah, it did come a little bit sooner. I was surprised to get the shipping notification. Um, So that was a surprise in itself. I didn't get a push notification to my phone to say it had been shipped from the Apple store or the app, no, the Apple store. I got a push notification going, we've sent you your, your trade-in pack. So that was sort of my first clue that something was happening. And then I got a notification to say, prepare your iPhone to be you know, sent back to us. So that was quite interesting. Checked my bank account and obviously they debited the money and all the rest of it and it was on its way. So I was delighted that it came last Friday. So I have I even had a couple of days to sort of get a feel for it as well. So I'll try and do this in a similar sort of way to you did. You broke it down quite nicely last week when we talked about this. So if I start with weight, it does feel significantly lighter and less unwieldy in the hand in the 13 Pro Max. It doesn't have the same top-heavy feeling in the camera module that I had before, despite the fact it's clearly got bigger camera lenses on it. So I found that, A, very nice, and B, I'm puzzled as to why it feels so much better, considering it is basically the same form factor with a massive top-heavy bit camera hob built into the top of it. Yeah, so the 14 was the same as your 13 i think very top heavy so i don't know whether this is to do with the internal chassis being redesigned whether they've moved some other internal components down but it is definitely a lot 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 better weight distribution i guess is the right words even though yeah you've got the big big camera mess at the top which oh it annoys me because i think it could look so much nicer and more symmetrical but they've done loads with it i don't know how they've done it but the balance is a thousand times better than what it used to be i think yeah 100 percent agree and just a thought as it occurs to me as you're saying that what i don't understand they're saying that these cameras are good going to be good for the vision pro these cameras at the top if you hold it in landscape mode are super close together surely what you want for a vision pro is to spread out the lenses so if you're going to do this one camera should actually be down here to give you the best spatial separation that you possibly could do. Or in the worst case scenario, along the top, as spread out as you can do. Because if you look at the Vision Pro, the cameras are on both sides of the headset. So what sort of stereo 3D separation you're going to get from cameras that close together is beyond me. Anyway, that's by the by. I had the opportunity when it arrived, there was somebody in the house, uh, a colleague, who had a 13 Mini. Yes, that'd be right. That's the last Mini they made was the 13 Mini. And he's obviously looking to change as well. And his comment when he picked this up, I hadn't even turned it on at this point, was, wow, that's not nearly as bad as I was expecting. 
So that's from the smallest phone Apple made to currently the biggest phone that Apple made in terms of weight and everything else. I just thought that that's an interesting comment from somebody who's used to a mini phone. Yeah, no, that that is an interesting comment. And I kind of felt that getting mine in that it actually felt like I'd gone down a size like because it feels a lot lighter. It's more rounded in the hands, a lot easier to hold on to. So I'm not surprised by that. I don't think I would go Max again because I just think it's, I struggle to reach the screen and use it one-handed, which is something I quite like when I'm carrying something or I'm doing something else. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, not surprised by that. I think they've done a fantastic job just with the shape, the ergonomics of it. I think they've, they've got it right and they fixed the weight distribution even whilst keeping that there. Just to comment on the camera piece though, surely the, surely the Vision Pro imagery is helped because this phone's got a wide camera. I don't know if the Vision Pro's got a wide camera on it. So surely it's the wide camera and the normal camera that make it work. Whereas on the Vision Pro, I'm assuming you've just got two normal cameras, but I, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that. I guess you can do things with computation that I hadn't considered, but if you think of the Nintendo 3DS, it had two cameras to give you that sort of depth view, and they were quite far apart. So I don't know. Maybe you're right that you have got a wide camera and a normal camera, but I guess time will tell. We'll see what sort of quality they are. And we'll also see if on the iPhone 16, 17, when it comes along, if they start to spread the cameras out, that'll be the real answer. Yeah, that will be telling, won't it? Whether they've just somehow fudged it this year, but Ashley's going to, the hardware will change next year. Who knows? Yeah. Moving on, I want to talk about the transfer. I think I talked about, you talked about your transfer and I did it as well. I think I picked the same method as you. I went for a device to device transfer. Some people did this by plugging a cable in one to the other. Some people tried to plug it into their Macs so they'd have some sort of Ethernet rather than going through Wi Fi and all the rest of it. I heard a good story about there was a hack a few years ago where if you plugged your phone into your computer, it would disable the Wi-Fi on the phone, so you'd only be using the you know, the particular connection with that. And lots of people's devices were failing because they were trying to use the Ethernet connection or the connection sharing from the Mac rather than that. I didn't do that. I just did straight device to device using Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, whichever one it actually picks to do that. I already told you how long it would take. It was reasonably seamless. I'd say in about two hours tops, all my apps were back and downloaded and ready to go. You know, some were that ready to use almost straight away, but I think I've got 160 plus apps on my phone or something like that. So it takes a while to download all the ones that are back again. I did turn off app offloading as well, because that was really annoying me. I'd go and look for a parking app or something like that again, and the iPhone would have decided I hadn't used it in six weeks and was removing it. So I switched that off. All the apps seemed to work perfectly well. Most of my credentials were preserved for things like messenger apps, although I had to re-authenticate re- re- a couple of them afterwards but messages and things seem to game over signal is a notable exception in this where i had to i lost all the conversations from the previous phone i don't know i presume that's a privacy thing around signal and the way it encrypts messages and all the rest of it so that was a thought and slack was a pain in the bum because i needed to go and completely re-authenticate the device to get back into slack so that was annoying and then unsurprisingly my banking apps but everything else just seemed to preserve my data and my logins and everything so that was fairly straightforward yeah, I think it's got a lot easier, hasn't it? And a lot more developers adhere to Apple's guidelines on all this, I think. So like you, I had a very similar experience. It was the odd app, I think. But on the whole, 90% of my apps just worked. It was fantastic. So we would definitely recommend. I went like you did for the wireless to wireless transfer, just because I thought that's probably what most people would do. And it's probably the thing Apple tests the most. So I thought I'll go with that. Yeah, I've gone the iCloud route before because it also purported to preserve most of your passwords and accounts and things like that but 
I don't think this was any worse. The only slight advantage with the iCloud way is that you get up and running again more quickly. You don't lose the use of both phones while they're doing the sort of send and receive thing for a slightly indeterminate amount of time. So I think if it was really in a rush, like I was trading it at the Apple store that day or something like that, I'd pick iCloud. But other than that, I think device to device is the way to go. Yeah, no, agreed. Moving on, I did have an issue with my Monzo app where you get offered, would you like us to re-add your Apple Pay cards to the wallet? And you say yes to that, or you skip that because you want to get on and it's easy enough to do that at a later date. I said yes at that point. Monzo is odd in that you don't phone the bank. It's all built in within the app itself. I had to re-authenticate that app, as I said so. But it really didn't want to re-add that card. It seemed to get stuck in a loop between Apple Pay and the bank going, add the card, and Monzo going, I don't know how to do that. And so there was some sort of miscommunication there until I just gave up entirely, force quit the app, removed the card from Apple Wallet and started it again. And at that point it worked. So I'm not entirely sure why that went wrong. Now that's odd. It sounds like it did a partial transfer. For me, mine just popped up and went, do you want to re-add your credit card? I went, yes. You put in your three digits from the back and it just added it and off I went. Yeah, so my other account at Royal Bank of Scotland was like that. It was seamless. But the more digital bank had the bigger problem, which I just thought was ironic. Yeah, the things that didn't transfer for me that I only thought about afterwards was Bluetooth devices. I, if you had a mouse or a keyboard, but more annoying, my car, I had to re-add my car. And that's a little bit annoying. So why can't it just transfer the the car over to do CarPlay, but also the key to get me in and out of the car? Because if, like, if I was in an Apple store doing this, and then I'd go back to my car, if I hadn't brought my actual car keys with me, I wouldn't be able to get in the thing. So I get, kind of get why it does it. But if you're doing device to device, is there no way the secure enclaves can just do that? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. And I had the same issue with my Tesla. I had to physically go out to the Tesla with a key. And in my case, that key is a card, an NFC card, and have that to authenticate a new phone physically in the car. So that wouldn't have worked with my old phone anyway. For some reason, with my BMW, I have to have both physical keys and sit in my car, which just it blows my mind. As an aside, you sent me a story this week about Apple charge, uh, sorry, BMW charges nuking your NFC on your phone anyway. Yeah, we should have put this in the gate news at the follow-up section. But apparently, if you've got the I've iphone 15 and you use apple's and um, apple's bmw's nfc reader to start your car which i do and then also to charge that can nuke the nfc in your phone which seems a bit odd to me i haven't seen this problem whether it's just a one-off whether it's even the iphone 15 or ios 17 i don't know but it's not a problem i've got but it does make me a little cautious because obviously if you lose the nfc in your phone i can't then get in my car i can't pay for things that would be a bad day I'll let you look for the link to put it in the show notes. But yeah, we should have talked about that. Yeah, That's not a good thing. While you're doing that, I'll move on. Talk about the camera. I sent you some pictures before the show of a variety of the lenses from the 5X all the way up to one of their sort of software modes. I think it's the 35mm software mode. It's a really good camera, i got to say. And I've been quite impressed with the video camera side of it as well. It's good at picking up light. I haven't used it nearly enough yet to make an awful lot of thought about it. But it's certainly creates better pictures than I was getting on my 13 Pro Max at this point. I can tell there's a lot more pixels in play here. I can tell the sensor is bigger. There's more light getting into it. I'm not enough of a professional photographer to say much more than that. But so far, so impressed really with the quality of the camera. It does feel like there's quite a jump from the 1X camera to a software 2X camera. And you get this a little bit with yours as well because there isn't a 2X lens. It's just a crop. 
to go from the 2x digital to the five times optical. It's a hell of a leap. And you can scroll more smoothly within it, within the scroll wheel, within the camera app. But if you're just hitting the buttons at the bottom to go to the highest zoom level, jumping from two to five is a big jump. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I'm sure over time they're going to come up with a clever way of of doing it. You know, as the 5x1 gets a 48 megapixel lens, they can probably do something similar that they've done with the one the the main lens where they can fake slightly different focal lengths so i wonder whether they'd ever do something like that but it is quite a big jump for you i'm guessing obviously i haven't got the 5x lens i actually use the 1x lens a lot and now i can fine tweak the focal length i think it's like 28 and 35 and i think there's one more there. maybe 24 is the other the other one i quite like that i think they've done a great job with the hardware limitations they've got of only three lenses you've got to think at some point we're going to go to four lenses though aren't we you know, they're marketing that it's got seven lenses is just nonsense. I can count. There's three lenses in the back of that. Yeah, seven in uh, in inverted uh, speech mark commas. But no, surely they're going to do um, more physical lenses unless they, they end up with some magical way. You end up with one actual lens and it's, I guess got so many megapixels in it. They can crop, you know, they can crop it or dice it any way they want kind of thing. I guess so. Uh, other thoughts about the camera. I tried the video camera and I was trying to get the action mode where it does stabilization. I saw a good YouTube video on somebody doing it because I haven't had that on the 13 Pro. It's a feature of the 14 Pro uh, and, and upwards and standard iPhone doesn't get this either. I'm quite interested in this. Uh, when I go to, uh, I'm going to a conference shortly so our podcast schedule may be slightly disrupted, prior warning. Um, we're thinking of doing some interviews with my phone. So if it can do any sort of in-hand stabilization as opposed to having to bring a gimbal or something, that's interesting to me. I found it quite hard to find the action mode. And I don't know if you've ever found this on your phone. Never used it. Well, there you go. You see, this is a voyage of discovery that I'll go through that you won't. I have found how to do it now. I thought it was the cinematic mode. So if you get, if you scroll along the bottom, you get panoramas, effectively, widescreen, portrait, photos, video, and then the cinematic is an option as well. It's not that. In fact, I took a little video of my dog on the beach on Saturday in cinematic mode and the colours looked a little bit odd, but what I really wanted was the action mode. So I feel like that should be the option of cameras along the bottom rather than, than cinematic. Isn't cinematic where it blurs the background and then you can, I think you can change the focus. If you had two people, you can blur the background if you've got one in focus and then shift it to the other that makes sense so how do you get to action mode in case any of our listeners want to know you put it in video and then you tap the little button up at the top and then there's an icon you can tap there so in the same way you can choose in photos for example whether you want it to be raw or not by tapping that icon up there you can do the same to put it in action mode so that's the next thing i'm going to test i do think apple need to do a camera app pro whatever you call it they need to keep the camera app they've got maybe take out a load of the extra features but just keep a really basic camera app that does everything for you maybe leave filters in there that kind of thing and then just do a pro app and really go to town on it and i know there are some good third party ones like obscura and halide but it just feels like apple have got so much crammed in there it's it's a bit messy and most people don't know it's there yeah and i think the super pro videographers or photographers are probably going to want their apps of choice for that anyway but interesting that i've got it there and i will report back as i go I have had an issue with the camera, and I don't know if this is common across lots of apps, but taking photos in Signal, which is a messaging app I use for communicating with people at work and all the rest of it, 
doesn't want to if I use the camera within the app to share them within that messaging app. So I suspect WhatsApp may be the same and others, maybe Facebook Messenger. Works flawlessly with Apple Photos, uh, with Apple Messages. You can take a picture and it just shared directly with it. Used to work flawlessly on iOS 17 on my 13 Pro Max. Will not do it on my 14 Pro Max. Maybe they didn't update for the newer stuff. I don't know. It seems an odd one. It's a very odd one. I'm on 17.0.2. All the apps are updated to their presumably iOS 17 versions of it. I find it really odd. It's almost like a photo library sharing thing. A permission has changed somewhere in one of the one of these updates that maybe haven't rolled out. But I don't know if it's just me or if it's a common thing, but it's been irritating me anyway. It might be worth you checking in settings for that app under photos, whether you have got them all shared then. But it's a straight backup of what I had before. None of those settings have changed. I know, but unless it didn't come over, you know, all I was thinking was maybe it didn't come over properly. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, so that was an issue. Reachability, I sent you a little video of this as well. If you uh, are searching for apps and you're in reachability mode and you swipe down, the dynamic island comes down too. So you end up with a software rendered dynamic island and a hardware dynamic island. And it just looks stupid. I agree it looks stupid. They're both software though, aren't they really? Because even the one at the top has only got two hardware bits, the camera and, and whatever else. It's got black pixels around it. But is it is it coming down though? Because if you're playing music, you can then reach the dynamic island controls. I, I just, I possibly, but I don't like it. I, I wasn't doing anything with the dynamic island at that point. It was just an inert. So you've copied an inert thing from the top of my phone and dragged it down the screen. I mean, possibly, but not when it's not doing anything, right? Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this. It does look a bit odd. And I hadn't really thought about it until you sent sent the uh, little video of it. Yeah. So that's just an observation. I mean, I could talk about the Dynamic Island here, I guess. I quite like it. I'm surprised how few apps make use of it. So we ordered a delivery at the weekend, excitedly waiting for our uh, Nandos to come. And uh, yeah, that didn't work with Dynamic Island. So far, timers work with Dynamic Island. My podcast app, Overcast, works with it. Flighty's going to. Carrot does but some sort of quite big apps that I would have thought just don't work with it yet, and that really surprised me. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised by what you're saying because I've seen it roll out very slowly. I do find it with Ringo that I use here in the UK to park my car. They, they work quite well with the Dynamic Island and live activities, but it does make you feel a bit pressured when you park your car. It's like, oh no, I've only got two hours to go, I better be quick. Um, that's the only thing I've noticed with it. Just a quick live update, if you do run a timer and pull down on the Dynamic Island, the timer comes down with it. So that's got to be why they're doing it, so that it's pulling all the interaction down. I guess I haven't noticed it much because I run in dark mode all the time, so maybe that's why it was less obvious to me. I think I was in dark mode when I sent you the video. Maybe not. I do tend to be there. It doesn't default to dark mode in the day. I'd sort of manually switch it over sometimes. But I was in the app search screen, so you've got nothing behind you there. So I don't know what was going on. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was just an observation. I thought I'd talk about the action button. You said you'd mapped yours to your camera. I did that initially, and then I thought, no, this is madness. I can tap the button on the front on the lock screen, and I can use the volume up button to take pictures as I always did, I'm, I'm wasting this button. So now my action button is mapped to an unlock my bike shortcut. So I press and hold that and it unlocks my bike, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. I, like that. I think I'm going to do a shortcut for mine. Like I say, so that when I'm at home on the Wi-Fi, maybe it's my torch when I'm out doing the bins or whatever it may be. And then when I'm not on the Wi-Fi, go to the camera and I might start building that out. That's what I was thinking. 
Yeah, Federico Petici has a little thing on how to build quite complex multi-button shortcuts on your action button, and John Gruber has one, whether it's face down or face up for what goes on. I didn't want anything too complicated at this point. I'm still seeing if I'll use the action button, so assigning it to something that I felt was useful, and I did swither between it and my Tesla, but the Tesla unlocks when I get close to it anyway with the phone, so it felt a bit redundant to have unlock your car on that, whereas the bike wants a dedicated unlock action, so I thought that was quite interesting. But I think... We'll have to see how this uptake goes, really, in, in, in iPhone world for how popular these things are. Yeah, annoyingly, my BMW doesn't have the ultra-wideband chip in it so that my car doesn't unlock when I get near it and I just have to hold my phone to the door. But um, I don't think I can invoke Apple Car Key any other way. But I'm, I'm going to have a play with it, I think. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm quite interested to try a few things. Fair enough. The always-on screen is obviously a novelty for me. I don't mind it. It does make me slightly uncomfortable that it's burning away battery. It also exhibits some oddness that maybe I just don't understand. So at the moment, now I'm not really looking at it. It's always on. I was in a darkened room watching a film the other day and it decided to go all the way off. So I don't know why suddenly it decided it would go all the way off. It doesn't seem to go all the way off when I put it on the bedside at night and go to sleep. So it's that also seems slightly inconsistent to me, but I quite like it. I quite like the fact there's notifications and things there. It's not as dim as I thought it would be, though. I love the always on screen. I guess mine's dimmer because I do usually have a black and white photo on my wallpaper. I do a lot of black and white photography. When I first got it, I actually turned off the wallpaper. So it was just a black screen with the time and and widgets on it. And I think that eased me into getting used to having an always on display, if that that makes sense. Because to begin with, I think you said the same to me. If it was on my phone's broken, the screen's always on because you're just not used to it after more than 10 years of having a black slab in front of you. But actually, I've really got used to it and I quite like it that sometimes you just see a notification pop up and you can tell from the icon whether it's Outlook for an email or, or Teams in work. And so well, I'm not really doing work. I don't need to pick it up and look at it. I really like the always on screen. I did turn it off, I think, to begin with. And like I said, I've eased myself into it. I'm completely sold on it now. I'm not going back. I would love my iPad to get this. Yeah, it's it, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to it. One thing I have noticed is how good the screen is, though. I think it's brighter than what was on my iPhone 13 Pro. It feels brighter anyway, or maybe it's just the lovely background I've got at the moment, which I'm going to talk about in my app of the week, actually. But yeah, I'm, I'm really quite impressed with the screen. I'm still not 100% convinced I know what ProMotion is, but everything else about the phone is good. And I guess, with the exception of one more cool thing that I'm going to talk about, my wrap-up is, I'm pretty happy with it. i got to say, I think it feels like a, a good upgrade on what I had before. There's enough new features and bells and whistles and all the rest of it that's particularly good. And the battery is significantly better, noticeably better. I charged it last night, I think 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, something like that, up to 100%. Uh, and I've still got 50% as I talked to you here today, despite having used it all day in work and all the bits and pieces I do on my phone over the course of the day. So yeah, it's it's quite a solid upgrade from that point of view. Yeah, so you made me go off to see if I could see if the screen was any brighter. It's got the same contrast ratio. The only th- different thing you should notice, I think, is the always on and the dynamic island. The rest of it's the same. Oh, I tell a lie. Outdoor, the 14 and 15, you got 2,000 peak brightness but they're all at a thousand max brightness which is typical and then slightly brighter on hdr at 1600 as well i think that's what it's marginally better on the brightness scale i think my eyes aren't as rubbish as i think they are so yeah that's my sort of summing up on the phone and i'm just going to finish with a with an anecdote as i said a minute ago i'm thinking of recording and doing some interviews and things like that when i'm at a conference next week probably going to use my phone to do it probably going to use action mode but 
the problem when you're doing interviews is how do you record people? So the current way we've got it is we have a Rode, I like Rode microphones, mobile Bluetooth thing that has a receiving unit and two Lavalier microphone units. So you can clip them directly at somebody's thing. So both people you're interviewing, you and the interviewee can wear one of these things and they both send audio streams back to the receiving unit. The receiving unit is USB-C to charge and send things off of, but also as a three and a half inch jack. So when you put it into a DSLR or something like that, you can connect, direct connect it into the end on the camera, you can record on the camera, or you can record on the PC and have your audio separate via that mechanism. This just worked with the USB-C connector on my phone. I went from USB-C out on the device, USB-C in on my phone, and it recorded straight into the camera app on my phone. Super impressive. Yeah, I'm loving USB-C, I must say. Just, oh, look, I've got a charger here for my iPad. I can just charge my phone. It is fantastic. I wish all my things were USB-C. Did I tell you I plugged my phone in in the office into a USB-C dock just to try it out? It just mirrors your iPhone screen onto the monitor. You could use the keyboard, but you couldn't use the USB-C mouse. I'm guessing iPhone OS doesn't know about a mouse. Yeah, that probably because makes sense. I don't think it has pointer support like the iPad. But the keyboard worked, which was kind of cool. But it does just mirror. It doesn't do anything else or any enhanced resolution. But yeah. USB-C is definitely the future. Yeah, I, I was impressed not having to install any drivers, run a specific app, anything like that. It just actually worked. So, yeah, fair play. Not bad. Yeah, it's good. Anything else on the phone? No, I think that'll do it. I'm conscious we're going to run long if I keep going. So I think we'll move swiftly on to App of the Week. So I've got a very cool wallpaper at the moment. It's sort of a blended folder looking thing. I'll hold it up and show it to Chris uh, on, on, on the nice screen. It's sort of very colourful. I really like it. Is that one of the Apple stock ones? I've seen that somewhere, haven't I? It is not. And that's my App of the Week. It's from oh. Wallaroo, which is a, a, it's not free. It's a, it's a pay for app by the Icon Factory who make lots of good things, it must be said, but they deliver a new wallpaper or sequence of wallpapers every week, really, with this. And you can tell they're, they're nerdy lads, like like myself, actually, in, in the choice of some of the things that end up in, in the wallpaper app. But it actually comes with a shortcut as well. And one of the reasons it made me think about this app is I could assign my action button to pick a, randomly pick a wallpaper from the Wallaroo app and, and assign it to my desktop. So that would be quite cool. So I'm going to scroll through on the screen here for Chris on the camera. And, you know, the Star Wars things and this, you know... Futurama things but the nice thing is if you find one you like the look of you can actually there's more than one uh, wallpaper will come with it so you can sort of scroll through for one that, a character that you might like for Futurama for example and assign that to be your background new one every week they have special ones that come out for sort of celebrating the, the, the death of Twitter or UDC had its own sort of wallpaper sets so you can feel like that when that week's going on it's just a really cool app it's not very expensive I think it's about a five or a year and if you like having these kinds of things around, decent wallpapers and all the rest of it, something fun. I did just have my photography on, on for a while on one of my focus modes, but there's no reason you couldn't have this in another focus mode, and I just think it's a fun little app, Wallaroo. No, that does look quite cool. Like I said, I've largely gone black and white because I often mess around with my phone while I'm out and about, and I try, try and take uh, different pictures, which I try and change up every now and again. Uh, but no, it looks good. I like it. Nice. Uh, my thing of the week simply is um, Mick Heron, so the author of um, the Slough House series, um, which we've talked about, Slow Dogs, on. Um, he had a new book out last week called The Secret Hours in Hardback, and I read it, and it is really good, and it kind of is linked into the Slough House series, even though it's a standalone book. It's just really well done, and it all came together. If you know the characters, it all came together really well in the finish, and he's just such a superb writer, 
really pro- prolific at the moment, I think, because um, I think he's had two books out this year. So um, clear, clearly on his A game, um, but just really enjoyable, genuine laugh out loud and in certain bits, but equally quite a serious book in many other places, but just tied everything together really well. So definitely get to recommend. And I'm actually going to see him speak next week as he's at our literature festival. So um quite looking forward to seeing him if you remember last year i think i recorded from the literature festival so i'm going this year but we don't need to record from there because i've got different events not not all in one day but um i'm going to see him and a bunch of other authors so um yeah look forward to it fantastic i think we can call that show chris i think it's a show so look if anyone wants to get into contact with us rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott i'm at underscore cjp at maston.social or you can drop us an email at wait from sleep at protonmail.com talk to you next week chris Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.